we have to learn about it because there are misperceptions about the past. So empire and colonialism yeah. is often pictured by some people as this, you know, glorious and benevolent force for good. Um, and yet, you know, it, it was far from it in so many ways. A better understanding of the past and how it leaves a legacy in the present can help to change society for the better. We are delighted to be joined on the podcast today by internationally acclaimed British artists, the Sing Twins. The Sing Twins' distinctive style mixes the traditional practice of Indian miniature painting with eclectic contemporary influences, creating unique works that explore important social, political and cultural issues. Their most recent work explores hidden narratives of empire, colonialism, conflict and slavery. With their 2019 commission for the Manchester Museum, Jallianwala, Repression and Retribution, commemorating the 100-year anniversary of the Jallianwala Bag Massacre. The twins are joined in conversation today by Nusrat Ahmed, the Manchester Museum's South Asia Gallery project lead. South Asia Gallery. This is going to be the first of its kind in so many ways. When it opens in 2022, it will be the first permanent gallery in the UK that's dedicated to the histories, experiences, cultures and contributions of South Asia diaspora communities. Not only this, but it will be the first time a museum gallery has co-curated at this scale. We've been working alongside these local communities, putting their voices and lived experiences at the heart of the gallery. The Singh Twins have been active members of the South Asia Gallery Collective, and this is um, a group of people from different backgrounds and disciplines. Um, it includes designers, historians, artists, scientists, writers, community members, students, um, and they've been working with the museum since 2018 to shape the gallery into something we hope will be unlike any museum exhibition you will have seen before. In 2019, the Manchester Museum and the Partition Museum in Amritsar, India, came together to commemorate the 100th year anniversary of the Janiyawala Bagh massacre. They co-produced the exhibition Jallianwala 1919 Punjab Under Siege. For the exhibition, the Singh Twins presented a unique creative response to this largely hidden episode of British rule in India. I spoke to them about this artwork, their journey as artists and the importance of learning overlooked histories. So, a very warm welcome to you both, and a big thank you for being part of our podcast. Not at all, thanks thank for inviting us. Uh, going back to the Jallianwala exhibition, could you please tell us more about this work, the research you undertook for the artwork, and the historical context? Well, the work was basically our artistic response to the centenary of this event, the Jallianwala massacre as it's known, which was basically an atrocity committed under the British rule in India uh, in 1919. 
whereby a brigadier general of the British Army opened fire on a peaceful protest. Um, Indians were basically protesting against a tightening of racist laws that were restricting Indian uh, rights and freedoms at that time. So the central panel of this triptych piece, a three-part piece, uh, is looking at the massacre itself. And then we have the panel left and right of that. The, the panel on the left gives a historical context to the event itself. And the panel on the right looks at the legacies of what that event actually led to in terms of the developing relations between Britain and India. Most of our research for this artwork was based on internet research. I mean, we have uh, in our... Uh, earlier days visited uh, India and we, we actually visited the park that is a, now a memorial to this massacre. Mm -hmm. And so we learned quite a bit of the history at that time and we were going back many years now. But it wasn't until the centenary that we really felt as artists this was something that we felt warranted um, some kind of artistic reflection. Not least for the fact that it's an event that uh, is pretty much been hidden or forgotten in certainly British history and yet it played such an important part in the, the way in which Britain and India relations developed. I think it was something that really shook India to the core because I think up mm. to that point, um, you know, they kind of looked upon England as this sort of, you know, beacon of, of righteous practice, if I could put the it that way, almost. almost. And yet here they were uh, opening fire on this innocent crowd of people uh, with, with no warning, you know, several thousand people were injured and died in, in this event. So we wanted to represent this uh, and, and bring it to a wider audience in, in the modern mm -hmm. day uh, because it also links into a lot of other sort of atrocities associated with empire and particularly the, the British Empire, uh, both abroad but also at home. So it's a uh, little detail in the artwork relates this massacre to something called the Peterloo Massacre, yeah. which is something that happened in Manchester, of course, the 100 years that divide the, the two events. But nevertheless, it was a similar kind of occasion where you had this peaceful protest and the right for peaceful protest being quashed by the authorities. Yeah. So the research, uh, as I say, uh, beyond our immediate knowledge of this as teenagers visiting India, pretty much came from internet research, but also historical documentation. So we um, bought some historical literature, one particular book by a journalist called Honeman, who reported on the event at the time and it was actually an Englishman who exposed what had happened in India because at that point uh, the British government tried to to cover this up mm. and this book it's obviously more than 100 years old now really detailed um, what had happened from the Indian perspective which is really important because the story has not only been hidden but it's also been told from a, a predominantly white British perspective. Yes so for me actually um coming into the museum and I came right at the time when the exhibition for the Jolly of Alabag massacre was um, was being launched. And um, I felt really sad about the fact that I didn't know about this. Um, I'd never been taught um, about this in my history lessons and I hadn't had the opportunity or um, open, been open to that environment to then go and learn about this history and it was part of my heritage as a South Asian woman. Um, how important do you think it is that we do learn about our history? Um, and just um, to expand on that, um, to actually to for us to be actually honest about what our history was, 
and for people to understand it in more complex details and that's taking on those um, and facing those in uncomfortable truths at the same time. Yeah, well history is really important to, to learn about because it basically has an impact on the present and it helps us to put the present into perspective, um, particularly you know, if, we're, if we're talking about reassessing um, certain views of the world and the people around us uh, and how that impacts on present day um, or current, current debates and uh, attitudes. So, for example, you know, you have the, the Brexit campaign, which was very much run on mm -hmm. the whole anti-immigration uh, card, if you like. You know, this idea that immigrants are in this country, you know, taking taking jobs and, and basically being a drain on, on the, you know, on the country's resources. And, uh, you know, it makes you wonder, you know, where, where do those kinds of attitudes uh, come from in the first place, mm -hmm. those kind of racist attitudes. But at the same time, you know, people, um, if they understood the kind of context of white immigrants were here in the first place, you know, in the context of, of Britain and its empire building. I mean, we certainly yeah. wouldn't be here had it not been for the British Empire. You know, we wouldn't have been, our grandparents wouldn't have come here. We wouldn't have been born here. But the idea that, you know, uh, this countries like Britain and their empire have been built on, um, you know, the blood, sweat and tears of, of the people that they ruled over, the so-called immigrant communities that they ruled over. They've always contributed to um, the building of countries like Britain. Mm. I um, think if people understood that more, there, there might be more respect for those communities that certain people uh -huh. feel are other or have no place in Britain. I mean, there's other examples further afield why history is important. For example, you just look at racism in America, not that it exists only there, but with this recent, you know, the horrific murder of George Floyd uh, and yeah. the kind of police victimisation or sort of lynch mentality, if you like, towards black Americans, which would feel links back to this colonial mindset of white superiority or supremacy, which is, you know, rooted in a whole history of, of slavery. And then, you know, I, I think a, a better understanding of the past um, and how it leaves a legacy in the present can help to change society for the better. So, for example, our Jelly Runner Barg artwork is part of a series of works called Slaves of Fashion, which looks at, in particular, issues around empire and colonialism, which were basically institutions that were about conquest and exploitation for commercial gain. Um, and, yeah. you know, these, these institutions, they're, they're not really a thing of the past. They, they have modern day parallels in the land grabbing and, mm. and conflicts and labour exploitation linked to trade today. And, you know, these link in turn to important debates around things like ethical trade and consumerism so looking at history and it, especially yeah especially if we reject certain aspects of history and I think it's universally um accepted, accepted that slavery was not a good thing and that abolition you know came far too late with, and exploitation is uh, not a good thing um so if we reject that as something of the past then we should also reject the similar kind of attitudes and behavioral patterns that we see in you know in the present day world um but also just even on a personal level, you know, talking about their own experiences as um, Asian mm -hmm. artists whose practice is very much rooted in a traditional Indian art form. Uh, we experience quite a lot of institutional prejudice because basically I think our tutors failed to recognise that the style that we were inspired by, which they dismissed as backward and outdated basically and having mm -hmm. no place in contemporary art, they failed to recognise and acknowledge that... Um, Indian art, like many other non-European art forms, such as Tahitian art and Japanese art, for example, African art, uh, had a very significant impact on the way that um, Western art developed, and particularly that you know those movements in art that were seen to be great innovators. Um, and also, we have to learn about it because there are misperceptions about the past. So, empire and colonialism yeah. is 
often pictured by some people as this, you know, glorious and benevolent force for good. Um, and yet, you know, it, it was far from it in so many ways. One of, one of the things that's commonly um, touted, for example, when you talk about empire in, in Britain and, and, the, and the British Raj, is this idea of the railways, you know, just a simple example, how the rail, railways are seen as you yeah. know, Britain's gift to India. And if we tell that story in a more okay. truthful way, which um, addresses this mm. misunderstanding, in reality, the railways were there. First of all, they were built by and paid for by, by the Indians. Uh, and secondly, they were really British there interest. not to serve the Indian interest, but British interest, you know, a way of mobilising yes. the troops and keeping control of India, a way of mobilising the raw materials and the finished goods um, which they exported for, you know, this, this growing British markets uh, in Britain and, and abroad, all paid for by, by Indians who were, by and large, living, you know, under the poverty line under British rule. Mm-hmm. How important do you think it is for future generations to have and know different narratives about history? Well, it's vital, isn't it? Because if you don't know different narratives, you don't put any one narrative in its correct perspective. And the thing about history is that, you know, we talk about histories, but there is actually only one history and they're all so interconnected. Um, so learning about other histories helps you also to understand who you are as a person. It's not just about understanding the, the so-called other culture and, and the other perspective, but it's also understanding how you've reached, you know, where you are today and how you... Um, kind of imagine your own identity and heritage. So, for example, you know, this idea of Britishness and what constitutes Britishness. It, it's not this sort of, um, you know, kind of isolated. far-right, isolated thing of, you know, uh, only being, yeah. um, belonging to, you know, white white Britons. Uh, Britain is a nation that's built on so many other factors and, so, and, and the sacrifice and input of so many other cultures. Mm. And, you know, first, second generation Indians who are here today, for example, are just as much British as their white counterparts. So just going back to um, when you talk about the racism that you had to overcome in your studies um, and your art, um, the development of your artwork. I did hear your honorary degree speech at, from the Liverpool University um, and I was really intrigued and wanted to know more. Um, so yeah, if you could just talk about that and what, what were the kind of things that you faced and how did you overcome those? Well, we studied um, a combined studies degree at uh, Chester College, which was affiliated college to the University of Liverpool. So it was a University uh-huh. of Liverpool degree, a BA honours in combined studies. And one of the modules that we studied was contemporary um, Western art history. And we really did face a lot of um, racist attitudes um, going through the system at that time against the kind of work that we were trying to uh, develop as artists. We were very much interested in pursuing our passion for the Indian miniature painting tradition and bringing that to a contemporary audience. So although we were aesthetically um, the work, you know, was picking up on uh, traditional kind of conventions and aesthetics of, of the Indian miniature style. We were very much dealing with contemporary um, issues, um, you know, looking at our life in, in Britain, for example, growing up and how, you know, we were really striving to project a, um, a pride in our own Indian heritage, if you like, yeah. um, against yeah. the kind of backdrop of, of feeling that pressure to conform to Western ways of living and dressing and thinking and, and socialising. We've always lived in a very um, white, uh, predominantly white 
um, area and we went to a you know Catholic convent school we were the only Indians yes, in the school yeah. so you know there, there was that peer pressure there to kind of fit in to um, you know what your friends were were doing there was also you know we grew, we grew up with a lot of negative media coverage of our mm-hmm. traditions you know there was always uh, you know whenever there was a, a play on tv for example which had an indian family in it you could always bet your bottom dollar that it was about the the girl mm-hmm. who was being forced into an arranged marriage you know and being yeah. oppressed under this you know extended uh, family system that we have and we didn't see it that way at all we we've uh, you know we've always been very proud of our indian roots and the traditions that have come with that um so when we were studying uh, for this art degree we just felt that the attitude in the art department that we were getting from our tutors which we were basically yeah. saying that you know um we can ex- we must express ourselves as contemporary artists but when we tried to do that in a way that we felt comfortable with i.e you know drawing inspired our in drawing our own heritage it was all of a sudden no we can't do that because uh to, miniature painting had no place within contemporary art expression mm. according to them so we felt that this attitude was just an extension of the kind of racist attitude that we've grown up with um, you know, in in the area that we live in, yeah, the um, colonial mindset of West is best. Yeah, it really basically. went back to that. I mean, even to be honest, even when we visited India as teenagers for the first time, we were very disappointed to see how India um, itself was even rejecting its traditional mm. art forms. And again, it went back to this West West is best mm. attitude, which is a hangover from the British Raj. You know, two hundred years of rule in mm. India. And Indians even today still think that to be um, seen as progressive and modern, you have to be westernised. Yes, but as artists, we, but as artists in our course, we were expected instead to uh, draw upon Western role models in art, people like Van Gogh and Picasso and Matisse, mm. who ironically themselves had actually been influenced by non-European art forms. And um, initially we tried to kind of compromise our work because we thought, you know, we're here, we've got to, a degree to get, if you like. But it was clear to us as we went on that the tutors were not really going to accept even a, a compromise in the work. They wanted us to go entirely um, towards the kind of Western canon of ideals of what, you know, the expectations of what contemporary art should be. And so we did a U-turn and our work then became much more clearly defined by the aesthetics of the Indian miniature style, the traditional style that has come to be a hallmark of, of our work, a very decorative and detailed narrative, symbolic work. Yeah, and um, I think the work itself became our way of rebelling against that system too mm. and that attitude. So, you know, we 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 could easily have just turned, you know, our attention to doing Western-style art and got through our degree with no problem, but mm. we decided that we needed to really challenge that kind of uh, narrow uh, Eurocentric mindset that was mm. within the department. Mm. And the way we did that was to use our art as a political tool, if you like, um, with the themes and, and maintaining that style. So we did uh, very early on do a lot of work that reflected, as I say earlier, you know, our life growing up in this country and the way that mm-hmm. we balance both our Western and our Indian identity. But we also backed up our practical work with uh, a thesis that was required as part of the final year examination. And we both had argued each in our own way about how Western art would not have developed if it had not been for the impact of these non-European art forms. Yeah. And not developed in the sense of the, the direction that it took away from the establishment at, at that time. And unfortunately, that didn't go down well with one particular no. examiner who <laughs> refused to mark the work. And it's a very long story, but the bottom line is we it was confided in us that he really hadn't liked what we'd written about, uh, particularly arguing about the impact of Indian art 
on Western art. And uh, there was a, there was a debate about what grade should be given us, and I think he he awarded us something that was really derisory, and that's a description of one of the other. Mm tutors yeah. and when um well he refused to mock the work but although he had he had put in writing that it was undoubtedly scholarly and beyond BA level he felt it was PhD level mm. but um when trying to justify his decision yeah. apparently he had made a statement that we would be happy with that mark because we'd only be going off and getting married anyway and uh, I think again that betrayed another kind of stereotype view of you know the the poor little Indian girl who's forced into an arranged marriage the, the minute she leaves university if she's even allowed to go to university. So that infuriated us, and I think our family and you know we, we entered into a huge um, appeal uh, procedure with the university, mm -hmm. which eventually did come down in our favour, not to the extent that um, it should have done. We feel, mm. but, but the bottom line is we we refused to accept our mm. degree. Mm. Um, that was they tried to award three times, and we've never accepted our degree to this day. But the honorary uh, degree that you saw online was mm. actually, you know, thirty years later, it it, it did go towards um, recognizing the wrong that was done, uh, and you know that was no matter the, about the time that's passed. I think that was something that we felt really kind of put a full stop to that whole episode, which really stayed with us throughout our lives. Um, you know, it was a real knockback at the time. We, we didn't want to have anything further to do with academia. Um, but it was only the, the support of our family and, and the fact that we felt um, so outraged by what we felt was a really... Um, racist yeah, racist. It, well, institutional attitude, racist yeah. attitude. I don't even know whether the tutors felt that they were being racist, but it was the whole part of that mindset again of going back to mm. this impression that, you know, the West is, is the benchmark for everything. But I'm sure, you know, that there is still that pressure, you know, that peer pressure, institutional pressure to be like the mainstream, however, you know, you would define that. But it's certainly, um, I don't think there is that creative freedom, particularly within the arts, to for many artists, whether Indian or otherwise, to necessarily yeah. practice in a way that they feel is true to who they are. Yeah. Because of the dictates of, you know, a certain circle of, of people who feel that they have a, a monopoly on defining what contemporary yeah. art should be. Yeah, I think there is that pressure to to kind of toe the line in order to be accepted within the mainstream. And we've never really subscribed to that. We've always really stuck to our guns and, and we've always demanded respect for our work on our own terms rather than, yeah. you know, changing who we are as people to, mm -hmm. to get on, if you like. Yeah, and I guess the way we've overcome that is, is really just by having self-belief in what we do and... In, being stubborn. Uh, yeah, being stubborn <laughs> and often taking chances, you know, saying no to projects that we feel might pigeonhole us in some way or, or uh, undermine the kind of work that we want to do. Just moving on to um, the South Asia Gallery, which we're all really, really excited about. Um, it's part of Manchester Museum's £14 million transformation project called Hello Future. Um, how important do you think it is for cultural institutions like um, museums and art galleries to uh, adopt similar approaches um, and to acknowledge it and give a platform to variable narratives? Well, I think it's vital because without that input, you don't get those variable narratives. I mean, it enables these institutions to uncover hidden stories and diverse stories, which really reflect the complexity of those communities and cultures. Mm -hmm. And, and represent not, those communities too, in terms of who they want to welcome within the museums. 
it also um, makes the ex exhibitions that they stage much more meaningful and, and relevant to the communities, but also modern audiences, mm -hmm. um, you know, from different backgrounds. And um, it also it kind of also um, steers away from those institutions, really imposing their particular um, stories onto those communities. Um, and um, do you want to give us uh, some information around your anthology for the, the gallery? Well, our anthology is really based on the kind of work that we do, which is looking at um, very often the hidden histories of uh, colonialism and, and empire. Uh, that's really what our interest is, because I think um, really those are the histories that if, they, if people have a better understanding of them are, are going to make a much more even-handed society in terms of you know the, the racial attitudes that we experience from time to time. And finally, um, what are your aspirations for the South Asia Gallery at Manchester Museum? Well, I think the museum really, um, we hope, will be a place where a balanced view of history can be learnt, uh, you know, and how the, the South Asia stories is very much part of the, the British story, so that the two aren't seen as something separate. And in doing that, we hope it will very much be a place of debate and discussion and uh, a platform for really cultivating uh, mutual understanding and appreciation, really, of those shared histories and how they impact today. Thank you both very much for being part of our podcast today. I've really enjoyed speaking to you. Um, I feel like I've learned so much. I want to learn more. And I think for me, um, that's where these conversations really um, achieve what they achieve in people wanting to delve into it further um, so yeah thank you from a personal level from me um, and I really do look forward to uh, working with you over the next year co-curating at the South Asia Gallery. You're welcome same here thank you.